Hi everybody, this is Hayley and Vicky from Better Me, Better Us. Uh, glad to be with you today for our next conversation. And today we're going to be focusing around language. So hi Vicky, how are you today? Good and excited to talk about language because it is absolutely, I was going to say a bugbear of mine, but I think it's so important and something which we regularly, regularly talk about, the power of language and the language that we choose to use when interacting with anybody can have such a huge impact. And so I think it's so important that we are aware and mindful <laughs> of our language. Yeah, and even before we started this uh, recording today, we've been talking about the power of language, both in our professional roles and mm -hmm. also in our personal lives. So talking with family members, people that are non-professionals in our sort of world and children. And if I just go back to the, the first point, with both of us coming from the professional world of children's services and you know social care, these big scary giants of organisations at times, I think you and I have both noticed that actually the the language that's used within those environments packs a hell of a punch. It's pretty scary, eh? Absolutely. And I don't know what your thoughts are, but I think even recently reading files, the language and labels that are used, especially when we look at historical files and historical only as far back as five, ten years ago, the language and how we record um. I was going to say and talk about people, but that sounds awful, doesn't it? But how we record information that has changed and evolved our language and what we, how we, yeah, record things has absolutely changed based on we're a lot better at capturing um, the client's voice, aren't we? Yeah, I think in the past actually. So I, I, I qualified over twenty years ago because I'm very old, um, and in some of those old paper files that I saw, some of the words and language. I mean, there are no, there's no way we would use that yeah like terminology mm -hmm. in in this day and age but even like you said sort of modern labels we, we see and again it links into being trauma informed as well doesn't it because yeah we are aware that people see behaviors mm -hmm. and then they label those behaviors without that understanding of the wider context so we maybe have children that are um and i'm going to say the word i would never use it naughty or mm -hmm. challenging mm -hmm. or he's difficult or dad's angry. And these are huge sweeping statements. And when you unpick them, it helps us understand. Absolutely. Like you say, the, the words and the terms that are used, people make a lot of assumptions and presumptions about what that means. And actually, from my perspective anyway, the relationship that you have with a person will influence how you interpret that information. I know I worked with a with a mum previously who regularly in files, it would say about a spitting and being really aggressive. Well, actually she didn't have any front teeth. So often when she spoke, especially about her children, which she was extremely passionate about, she would spit. It wasn't done in an aggressive way, yeah. but there was something about these files didn't ever reference that she didn't have any teeth. And actually that is absolutely something that is going to influence how much she spits when she's speaking. So absolutely how that is then recorded in these assessments and files is lifelong as it? it becomes part of their story and their narrative and the child's narrative when they start to read through those yeah. files. And, and and we know, as anybody that works within a large organisation where there's a lot of paperwork, there does sometimes, there is cut and paste. Yeah. 
So people will lift that bit of information onto a new report from the previous worker. And so that that label sticks for mm-hmm. years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And as you just said about that mum, my favourite is angry dad, because then when you break it down and say, tell me the time that dad was angry. Well, it was when we did this with his children. Well, of course mm-hmm. he was angry. And you could also reframe that to passionate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is great. You want to see passionate parents because you've got something to yeah. work with, haven't you? But it's it's a single story. And we've mm-hmm. talked about the labels that have, you know, are, are placed upon the young children that we work with. He's difficult. Um, he thieves. He's a non-attender. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. That That's a single story. What else is that person? What other skills do they have? What else do they bring to the table? And even if it is seen as, inverted commas, challenging, to those around them what skills are coming with that I remember working with the youngest um young person that was involved in very anti-social behavior very very anti-social behavior and he was eight um and he was as you can imagine had a great personality uh, a <laughs> little firecracker but what he was engaged in that's what everybody focused on he does this he does this it's very dangerous actually what he did was quite dangerous but he had huge skills within that maths, mm-hmm. relationship um, building, analysing situations on his toes. He was able to ascertain, is this a safe place for me to be or not? Those skills can be, you know, channeled somewhere else. And I think it's so important to recognise what else does that that label bring. Absolutely, absolutely. And then when you were just giving that example there, I was really curious to know what his, if he was a, if he was attending school and what his academic achievements were like. So I think when we talk about language, there's something that we need to be mindful of in terms of written language. Yeah. Some people might not have the skills to read and write, but actually in terms of verbal communication, they are absolutely fantastic and they can absolutely articulate how they're feeling or what's going on for them. But in terms of um putting that into pen and paper it can be really difficult for them in terms so then it makes me think about how language absolutely links in with styles of communication yeah yeah absolutely and and you've got you've just got me thinking even even more It's, it's around communication but also again I'm linking your communication then to the work that we've done and engagement's a big word so people say um you know we often place that blame or responsibility onto a family where they won't engage, they don't do this. And like you said, there's probably something underneath that about my Mm -hmm. language as the worker, Mm -hmm. the way that I've tried to convey how we could have a working relationship together. Mm -hmm. You know, like you you know, you've got a bog standard letter through the door before where you know that somebody's just handwritten your name, Mm -hmm. but the letter is exactly the same that's gone out to everybody. Well, that language doesn't resonate with Mm me. No, I have just seen the letter and put it to a side because it's clearly not made for me. That language is not personalised, therefore Mm -hmm. not important. Mm -hmm. And like we always say, it's bringing the human, isn't it? So much of it is about that relationship building. And then once you've built that relationship, you can have any sort of conversation, can't you? I know from our experience, we can have some of the most difficult, really upsetting conversations at times, but using the right language that we know that person or that family is going to understand and relate to alongside having that established relationship where possible with the person means that 
how that information is received yeah is very different it is received as opposed to reacted to yes yeah and and you it's connection isn't it language equals connection if whether that's work or personal so again some of the things we've talked about are different ages language used by different age groups Mm -hmm. language used in different um geographical areas and I travel around the country Mm -hmm. delivering training sometimes and I always start off the day by saying um I'm not a proper Geordie as my husband always tells me however I do slip into using Ben Ben Mm -hmm. equals child (laughs) therefore if you hear me say that over the next couple of days sorry I will slip into it but again it's that helping people understand and it really what I found is people really connect with me in the training room mm-hmm. and then they come up at break time and say oh we used to go to Whitley Bay for holidays or my daughter's <laughs> studying in Newcastle it's the best party city in the world it like creates something mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely and I think when you say about sort of different ages there it is absolutely <laughs> adapting the language for different ages but mm. also not assuming that adults need to be communicated with on a different sort of level because I know I definitely don't. If I go into a situation and loads of big words are used <laughs> or acronyms, I'm like, ah, you have lost me. I have no idea what you're talking about. And that isn't a case of dumbing it down, which I know I have a tendency to sometimes think it is a case of dumbing it down. It's just making it more accessible, applying it to real life and practice. Yeah. As I say, yeah, bringing it alive. And I think when we talk about language for different ages, for me, there's something about, and I know we've had these conversations before, and especially in the arena that we work in, I think there's some fear from adults, from professionals about communicating some really difficult information with children and young people. And actually, with the established relationship and sort of been mindful of the language you use you should be able to communicate these difficult things in an age-appropriate way in language that they understand that gives them the same message and the same information because I think there's something that we all need to be mindful of that through the language we choose to use it's hoped that we're not I was going to say lying to our children and young people Mm -hmm. lying or giving misinformation just to make it more palatable yeah, you're right. Oh, there was lots of fighting between mummy and daddy. No. What does that mean? Yeah. What does that look like? Say what you see, yes. as you would always say, say what you see. And it is that, isn't it? It's the language that we use. We all interpret it differently. So yeah. be clear. What does that mean? What does it look like? There's a quote from Einstein that if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, it means that you don't truly understand it yourself. So you're right. In the line of work mm-hmm. that we've, we've both um done currently and in the past we have some really difficult conversations with some very little children about Mm -hmm. some very hard things that have happened in their family Mm -hmm. and that can be a whole host of of issues from abuse to bereavement to you know everything in between we've been able to find words to talk to kids about that stuff you know it's about and grown-ups as well so we, we know that grown-ups shy away from having those hard conversations with children children know they already know that stuff they maybe haven't made sense of it and it's churning around in their little minds and actually to be a responsible grown-up we have to find the right words and language to use with those children to give them permission to talk about the difficult stuff that's happened Because as we know, having worked with adult survivors of difficult issues 
who didn't have the opportunity to talk about what happened to them, they go on and those issues continue to impact on their life negatively. So they struggle to make relationships. They don't trust, you know, whatever that is. So the grown-ups, we need to get over ourselves and find the, the language. I was going to say it's absolutely that, isn't it? That notice as adults, what is the emotion driving how we, what we bring to that situation? Is it fear? But equally, like you say, some adults don't have the language. Yes, they might be an adult, but we should all be open to learning. And it's leaning into that, isn't it? Finding out who can support you. I don't have the language or the skills to manage this situation. Who is in my network or who can I bring into my network to help me with this, to learn? Even though I'm I'm an adult, as I say, that it shouldn't be, I get to a certain age and I now know everything because we don't. We should all be open to being curious and to keep learning and be open-minded. So it's bringing in the people that can help us with that language. It makes me think, and I know we've spoken before and maybe it's a a conversation for a separate time, but around life story information. Yeah. My experience is lots of adopters are fearful of the information they're communicating because sometimes it's really unpleasant, often very unpleasant things as to why that child was unable to remain living with their birth family. And it's having the confidence and the language to be able to communicate some of that really difficult stuff with their child. And it's about us as adults and professionals supporting them because that adult has the relationship with their child. So what can we do to to build on that, how can we help you and support you with the language and communication to be able to deliver and support your child with this really difficult stuff? Yeah, yeah. And life story work is so important. And I know in the the, the local authority that I'm working for at the moment, they've got a huge drive at the moment to try and make sure that every child does have quality life story work. Um but it is so important for, for those of us that may go on to care for children that can't remain in their own family homes for whatever reasons to allow them to remember their people. Because, again, we've worked with older children who maybe, you know, and it always comes from a good place. We've always said this. They want We want to protect those children. So perhaps we don't talk about the bad people or the bad stuff that happens. As humans, we have an innate need to know where we came from. So if we take those children away, what happens is we see it as professionals. They hit teenage years and they need to know where do I come from? Who do I look like? How can I play football? Who else does that in my family? Who likes to do this? So we all gravitate back. But actually, and and, and that's where the problems will then arise if we've done no work Mm -hmm. around that in preparation. Um, and helping people to understand the language that's used and what the issues were um, so people can still understand where they came from and do that safely um, absolutely and I think there's something about when sharing that information with children and young people recognizing that we are all still learning so actually how some of this is recorded I absolutely acknowledge that maybe yeah. our language has changed and that wasn't the best phrase or term to use so apologies for that we're learning we're growing yeah. and actually what term would you like to use now and sort of including them in that in that shared understanding and shared language and it makes me think of I know in the up here in the northeast we use the phrase children in care now don't we as yes. opposed to looked after and I think that illustrates that language is changing as we're listening to the voice of the of the young person and what they want it to be called um, and it makes me think about um, 
when we talk about family time or contact, I know there has been a move towards family time. There are some young people that I work with that because it's a formal arrangement, they're like, it isn't family time. They're not my family. This, the people I live with now are my family. I still want it to be referred to as contact, which is fine. That's their right. That's their choice. And it's having that conversation, isn't it? And be willing to check it out. Keep learning. Be curious. And I'm just thinking about somebody that's in my personal network, not too close, but somebody that is in my personal network. She's a young person, um, a teenager, and she's chosen to change her name. Now, as adults that have known her since she was born, there are lots of us that have various views and differing views about that. Mm -hmm. Um, My family, we've chosen to call her the name that she now identifies with because that makes her happy. And again, Mm -hmm. it's that judgment that comes with language that means something so I know it's slightly off piece there but what I was trying to say there is that language her her original name that language reminds her of something mm-hmm. it identifies so that one mm-hmm. word that name mm-hmm. takes her to a certain place therefore she's chosen to rename herself and rebirth herself and almost get rid of that stuff that comes with the previous name Absolutely. From what you've said there, language can be really triggering. So we need to be really mindful about the language we use, but equally to have the confidence and ability to share that with someone. So I know and I'm (laughs) smiling because we've had conversations, haven't we, where for me, that phrase of can I have a word? I'm like, ah, oh no, what have I done? And it's that for me, that phrase is really triggering. And I have to almost slow it down and be like, have you done anything wrong? They might just want a conversation with you. (laughs) But for me, that is a really triggering phrase. And so it's it's been aware of that, that language can be really trauma inducing or trauma reducing at the same time. But it's checking that out with someone, isn't it? And then not shaming or blaming them. If, for example, me communicating that, can I have a word? someone could easily respond with oh don't be so silly why is that triggering for you yeah well that's, actually that's really so unhelpful. unhelpful and shaming so it's now been really my whole can of worms <laughs> yeah so it's been mindful isn't it about how we respond to that when it's been communicated to us I'm laughing Vicky at you sorry because I can remember I have a, a I've got a visual memory now of <laughs> East Yorkshire which is where you come from and where I went yeah. to school um, and coming out of the girls' toilets in a sixth form corridor, I don't know why my head has just gone here. And the teacher <laughs> saying to me, "Listen, Flossie," those were her words, and I said, "My name's not Flossie." I can remember feeling really empowered. I was, yeah, I was able to challenge her back, but she just went, "Get in that room, Flossie," and and, and obviously I, I followed her. But I can always remember Flossie. Mm-hmm. Who do you think you are calling me Flossie? Mm-hmm. And I was a young adult. I was all seventeen, mm-hmm. eighteen. Mm-hmm. But that that triggered me. And from then, I just thought every time I had my arms crossed when she came in the room, it was just like, this is not happening for you. Mm-hmm. So again, take yourself back to your emotional adolescent self. And absolutely, I was just thinking then there's something about sometimes the language we use, we deliver it with the intent for it to elicit an emotion, don't we? We might intentionally choose it because we know it's going to yeah. cause a response or a reaction. And say it with a certain and, tone, because you can yeah. say... Um, you can say, oh, you know, I love you in so many different ways. You know, seriously, I love you. Yeah, 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 I love you. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love you. Same mm-hmm. words, but said with different. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Absolutely. It's and and how all of it is received depends on that other person, how yeah. regulated or dysregulated they are. Equally, how we deliver it. If we deliver it from a dysregulated place, that's not great either, is it? We are human, so I absolutely recognise oh that. But sometimes it's picking our moments, isn't it? And thinking, am I regulated enough to deliver this, to have this conversation, to engage in this? So that emotional intelligence again as well. How many times mm-hmm. as practitioners have we looked at other practitioners and thought, oh, that practitioner needs to not do a home visit? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they are not in the place to do that. You've not got the headspace for this family and that's not fair. Absolutely. And I think these conversations are ones that we can talk about and go on and we regularly do. And that's oh, well, why we go on. <laughs> <laughs> And that's why we're doing this, aren't we? Because we yeah. want to make these conversations bigger. We are learning. By all means, we want people to respond, engage in this yes. con- uh, conversation, share their thoughts and feelings. What's your experience of language? Has it been trauma-inducing? What's been useful in terms of people's language and communication styles with you? Yeah, We're all ears and we want to hear. Absolutely. So I think we'll wrap up this conversation for today. Uh, look forward to hearing from some of you and connecting with you in the future and listen out for the the next conversation who knows what we will be talking about it will have a theme but as we know we like to cover lots of uh, areas in our (laughs) conversation so have a great day everybody see you soon